tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Good morning, Swarm! Man, welcome to Tinfall Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock! Join me as always, Xavier Guerrero and Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard. Johnny! John, this is a yeah. heavy Johnny show today. You well, guys I want to apologize. Sam uh, likes to make Why me do you want to apologize, devil's, Johnny? Devil's advocate. So Johnny, I up, people I just want, like I that. I want to make... Yeah, but people are going to be like, Oh, Johnny, he doesn't believe me. He's skeptical. No, He's Johnny. Stupid. What a fucking have, retard. I, I just want to be clear that I don't believe half of the shit. You're the smarter on, so one. I'm, I'm so open-minded No, hold on. Don't say this. that, Johnny. Okay, stop. T- stop. Okay? Don't say you don't believe half the shit. Well, no, no, no. On this show today, half of the things I said where I'm like espousing the viral model. You're asking real questions that I (laughs) think, and he liked it. Dr. Andrew Kaufman enjoyed it. You know how it is, though. It seems like you're being antagonistic. I don't want people to think that. Sometimes on this show, because of the style that I do, that I've made this show is where it's like for this hour or however long we're going to assume what you're saying is true. Okay? I'm a sensitive boy. Okay, yeah. I don't like getting I get negative you are comments. Sensitive. But but but, but it, it, it can't be Sam. Sam's got to sit there and play the the host. I'm too stupid to ask those okay. questions. I will not agree so, disagree with any so of this. So it leaves you, Johnny. <laughs> and but, Johnny I mean, but I mean, we're Johnny. all stupid compared to this guy Johnny, that was on. You know? I did of everybody on the show. And this is why you're great on the show. You are more skeptical yeah. than a lot. I fully believe in all this stuff. So it's just, and sometimes questions got to get asked. It's weird because to me, it seems just natural because you, I, you're skeptical of like the official narrative and, you know, like shit the government puts out and all that. And I just extend that to everything. Like everything I'm told, I'm skeptical of, no matter who says it. Okay. And, and I, so to me, it's just kind of a natural extension of this conspiracy mindset. I just, so no, no, you're, you, you, you're, you're skeptical of the skepticism. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, okay. I'm skeptical of everything. There's nothing wrong anyway, with that. Don't yell at me, is what I'm trying to say. Just be nice. Yeah, we got enough shit. Okay. Yeah. So, guys, uh, you know, uh, real quick, I want to say thank you to everyone who came out to the first ever, um, Assassins Only. Leave your bitch ass at home. Great show. Are you gonna let about the lineup? Fine. Can you say now who was there? Yeah, let them oh, yeah. know about the lineup so they know that they gotta buy yeah. tickets. Like, for yeah, this shit. yeah. So it was uh, Kurt Metzger annihilated. Jimmy Dore, nice. Eddie Bravo, nice. my boy Jason Ellis, Zane wow. who opens for me, and uh, Br- Brent Bilcom. You've seen him. Oh, on. Brent. Okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, it was a great lineup. It was lot of dude, of course. And, and me Central. closing it out, thinking I could just do some new jokes when everyone was just killing. <laughs> It's like hey, that's I, a lineup for ten fucking dollars, dude. Yeah, I know. Ten so bucks, that, really? Wow. Because I, I, I just want a room where people come and hang out and have a good time and Fuck. put all these fucking do. Like everyone was going off on some great shit. It was like it was definitely the most anti Hollywood show <laughs> I've ever done. That's what we you need, want. We need one that's like 
Craigslist hitmen only, you know, where it's just like open micers can go up because that's what I that's what I want, you know. No, but like I was thinking level. about like like I should have given you guys spots at the end. No, like no, I no, made I like that idea. Assassins only. I mean, that's no. Oh, at the end, like once the show's uh, over, he, at the I comedy store, I need to do happen. less bangers and more people at the end, and I have to not put myself at the end where it's like. It's just because you're, you're like the sacrificial lamb. I'm, well, point. I'm like I'm a killer. I get a huge yeah, applause but walking up, stuff, but I mean, everyone's like, tired. Oh, that's it. And yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. else I have to yeah. do is I have to focus on what I want to talk. I can't just go up there and riff when everybody's bringing heat. Yeah, because they're coming in hot. I mean, I'm a crusher, bro. Make no mistakes about it. My yeah. new shit is fire. But it's kind of like they've been ringed out at that point. You know what I mean? My like, new bit is like very. Uh, my new bit about black buffalo wild wings makes some people uncomfortable. But it's I a love kill. just that. Dude, I love that. Just okay. the name of that bit. If you wanted an black early preview of that, it was on Broken Simulation. Yeah, the new one just came out. Dude, go check that out. Okay, guys. I hope everything's well. Oh yeah, real quick. I got some shows coming up on the thirtieth of this month. I, I am in... Where am I? Where is this? Morris Plains. No no, 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 no. This no, one no, isn't no. even up there, man. I got to figure out where this is. Okay. It is in Costa Mesa. Yeah, what day is it? What is today? 22nd. 30th Eight days Thursday. from now. Thursday. Yeah, uh, I am going to be in Costa Mesa. Go to samtriplee.com for your tickets. You're bringing a lot of hammer out there. Come get weird, okay? Costa Mesa on the 22nd. Then... Fast forward to July 15th and 16th. I am at... Wait, the 22nd? The, no, I, the today. 30th. Okay. The 30th, I am in Costa Mesa. Costa Mesa, okay? Right. July 15th, I'm in... Uh, July 15th and 16th, I am in Morris Plains at the Dojo of Comedy. And then on the July 20th, okay, I'm, is the next Comedy Chaos. Grab your tickets now. Putting together a murder lineup for that one. And then August 5th at 6, I am at Cobbs in San Francisco. Now, I'm getting a lot of things. They are doing, they're, they're saying you got to have vaccination yeah, and stuff. Asking me. I am talking to them about what you have to understand is what they have to legally put up and what is actually going yeah. on there are always two different things. I guarantee you they're not checking for your cards. I will, I will, I will make sure that that's not happening. And if it's not, I'm going to try to cancel. If I cancel, I'll probably lose my agency. But we're gonna see what we could do. Okay, do it in the parking lot if they, if they, if they, if they, if they do that. I mean, I love Cobbs. I love everybody that works there. I love. It's a great club. I just got to make sure that they're not doing some stupid stuff. Okay, I didn't know club anywhere was still looking. Uh, for vaccine passport. I thought we're past that. Yeah, really. What is this? Yeah. Two years ago? San Francisco. Okay. It's never going away. I mean, it, I mean, dude, they did some amazing things. They got rid of the DA. They got rid of people on on the the, the education board. So San Francisco yeah, is waking up. So we'll see. Those people dude. in power, though, they're just holding on to it with their cold, dead hands. So go check that out. Uh, real quick, go to samtriplee.com for all those all that stuff. Now, the next thing I, I want you guys to know is because we're going to do real quick uh, we go to Rockfin for I uh, just go samtriplee.com. You can get all my premium content on Rockfin. Then go down a little bit. T-shirts are available at samtriplee.com. Uh, Click the T-shirts. My cameos are fire. You will get a 30-minute manifesto, a 33-minute manifesto of me just talking mad shit. <laughs> Guys, go click on buy gold and silver. We've been pushing on all my shows. We already had our first sale. Can't believe it. Some uh, Someone in the swarm went and um, bought uh, a good chunk of gold. So uh, it is happening. Go check it out. Good for them. 
And, uh, you know, Xavier's deciding, does he want to put it in a gold, silver, or uh, an IRA? I say right now, do gold, then get in, because the market's a little crazy, but you want to have some assets, then you can get into your IRA. Yeah, something um, I can hold. Can you, yeah. get, can you get a grill from... Uh, from- I, dude, Wise I have wolf. enough. Uh, I could, I, I could, I burn some. I could melt Ooh. some gold, turn into all grill, all gold teeth. Are you? Would still that be do hot it? if you had all gold teeth? Hot. That's a rapper. Would rappers, that be attractive? Yeah, rappers do that. Would that be attractive? No. Oh, man, I can't. I thought talk. you wanted. You want a gold tooth, right? I want a gold tooth. Yes. Why haven't you done it yet? Uh because I just haven't done it yet. Okay. Uh, you can go check out the uh, all the telegrams, Tim Fall Hat, Telegram, Zero Telegram, and all of my sh- free audio shows are available at samtriplee.com. Broken Sim, Cash Daddies, uh, Punch Drunk, Zero, Conspiracy Social Club, and Union on the Unwanted. And all my videos are there for most of my shows are all available at samtriplee.com. Broken Sim is fire, everybody. Broken Sim is fire, okay? I just walk around the country... Looking for danger. That's what I do, and I talk to you about we it. We got into so much shit this week. You have a uh, gay pride uh, conspiracy theory that we went into about those guys that were busted by the FBI. Okay. Uh, Did we get we... shit about that? Uh, no, 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 no. We we got into the uh, overweight yogi that yogini that's now uh, the Gatorade fitness model, <laughs> yeah, quote unquote. Yeah, Some yeah, viral yeah, videos. Yeah. Elon Musk, me too. And we saw an actual glitch in the Matrix. Uh, video proof. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, guys. Uh, please, and this is a great show. It's with Dr. Andrew Kaufman, and uh, we go deep, homeboy. Enjoy. Hey, guys, today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I take Athletic Greens every day because I want better gut health, more energy, optimized immune system, okay? I hate taking a bunch of pills and vitamins. I want a supplement that actually tastes great and want to see what the hype was all about, okay? With one delicious scoop, Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens, all right? It starts your day off right. And it's real simple, okay? It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamins, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, okay? It costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Green is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash timfoil. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash timfoil to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Enjoy the show. Go deep, homeboy. open your mind. All right, very excited to have this next guest on. I had a friend of mine going, hey, you got to get this doctor on. Uh, even some people in the truther community are afraid to have him on. I'm like, well, that's who I need to talk to. <laughs> the more dangerous the conversation, the better. Uh, I'm very excited to, uh, to talk uh, to have this next guest on. We connected at Float Fest. It was a great time. 
Uh, he watched our comedy show, and after that, he decided to still be our friend. So that's a sign of a good <laughs> after sense After getting you. roasted. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited to have him on. Uh, he has a film called Train the Film. I am subscribed to it. Very, uh, very thankfully, uh, I enjoyed it. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Andy Kaufman. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me on. I appreciate it. And uh, I didn't know that I was I was too dangerous. I, I thought that was uh, I thought people just uh, didn't like me. But dangerous is much better. Yeah, dangerous is much better. And sometimes you can mistake the two. And uh, I wish people would just tell you because I feel like that's what I'm going through in comedy right now. They're a little upset with me in L.A. that I'm a little too honest. So it's like I had a buddy do my show last night, and I couldn't tell how receptive he was to my act. So we'll see. I'll call him today be like, are we still friends, bro? I, after I know you might not agree with everything I'm saying. So there are people who get very uh, – they, they just get – they get very upset when you're too honest. Like there's just something about that that people get really upset when they're too honest. But so uh, I, I I don't want you to think anyone was talking negative of you. I, everybody I talked to about you uh, raved about you and said very nice things. Uh, just that they, some people might be afraid to have you on, and this is not one mm, of those shows. Never. So it's one of those things though, like <laughs> where the, if you just take a, a citizen with average knowledge and they you know happen to drop in on one of these conversations we're having i mean that which are mostly at a very deep level like you have to have a lot of other knowledge to kind of engage with this kind of co content it's going to be hard to take you know what i mean you got to start the shallow end but what we do on your this act show is like that too you yeah know? i agree with that I agree with that. Uh, what I am uh, trying to do with this show, and then we'll get we'll, we'll let yeah, the, yeah. the doctor talk, uh, <laughs> is that I, I am trying to get to the point where I want this to be digestible so somebody can just show up and listen to any episode and get a running start. Yeah. So that's Tough. it. So, doctor. Well, uh, Sam, I heard your uh, recent interview with Richard Grove, and you know, we he and I actually do some collaboration together, and uh, you know, it was it was super informative. Like people can really, you know, begin to absorb some important information through this, you know, vehicle that you've uh, set up. Thank you, man. And that does mean a lot to me because that is what we want to do. And again, we say it all the time. We're the shallow end, the, the, yeah. the, the, the training wheels to get to this. This is an advanced conversation, but we'd let, we're going to deliver in a way that people can understand it. Uh, so uh, for those who may not be familiar with you, uh, Andy, doctor, uh, I, I feel weird not calling a doctor doctor. I think you've earned it. Even if you were like a voodoo doctor who cut off chicken heads, I'd still call you doctor. But uh, would you like well, to tell us? I'm not going to ask you to bend over and drop your pants, I promise. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. That'd be the first person I've met this week that hasn't asked me to do that. Um, <laughs> Because I just did some life insurance stuff. But uh, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your movie? Yeah, well, so I, you know, was a mainstream regular doctor. I went to um, medical school in South Carolina. I did my uh, psychiatry residency at Duke. And then I specialized in forensic psychiatry where I was like an expert witness. And I also did research and I uh, came up with a medical device, uh, a suicide prevention device, actually. And then, you know, when um, I came across this book from Kelly Brogan, um, and you guys might know of her, it's called The Mind of Your Own is the book. It was like a New York Times bestseller. And she basically debunked psychiatry, which I had kind of been doing step by step in my own research, beginning at Duke. And I 
thought that, you know, this is great to find someone who shares this uh, kind of opinion. And then she presented this, you know, way of using natural healing. And it was really mostly nutritional. And so I tried this and it kind of changed everything for me because um, a, a former colleague who we kind of experimented with this together and she basically had a remission from anxiety that had been affecting her for over 20 years. And it was, uh, you know, a very simple way to go. And I'd never seen results like that in the medical community. So that led me down a path. And then when COVID hit, I just started looking into the scientific research behind it, like the papers where they said they discovered the virus and showed that it caused this new disease. And I found that they actually weren't doing real science, like some of the most basic things about science, like doing a control experiment uh, or following the scientific method just wasn't a part of this medical science. And then I basically shared that information with people. And of course, it's a it's a lot to take in because it, it kind of overturns the whole germ theory. In other words, I found that they haven't even proved that any of these viruses that they say cause disease even exist, let alone cause a disease. And with the other germs like bacteria and fungi, which are real, like where you can see them and grow them in a laboratory, they haven't proven that those cause any disease. So this was like turned my world upside down because I was like a regular doctor. I had uh, taken all the vaccines. A, a lot of them I had to take to practice in healthcare setting. Um, I even gave myself a tetanus shot one time when I went on a trip to Costa Rica. You know, my kids were vaccinated. I thought germs were real. I prescribed antibiotics and all of this kind of stuff. It wasn't until I started looking into it and reading the papers that I was kind of just blown away. Like I, I was really at first, I thought, I thought I might be delusional, like that I wasn't thinking straight or I was making logical errors. And uh, when I first put this information out, I got like a panel of, of people to uh, watch it to kind of tell me if I was cracking up. But uh, fortunately, they all took it seriously. And then you know, that's kind of uh, what led me on this path to try to speak the truth in the face of the pandemic and try to shift the medical paradigm from these false uh, theories, fraudulent practices into something more honest and natural that gets real results. And I've seen that happen um, in my day to day life. Well, I love everything you're saying. What we like to do on the show when we have this conversation, we like to make Johnny kind of the uh, you know, the devil's advocate, it, it, not in a bad way, but he asked the questions that we feel like people who uh, don't believe in this 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 oh, stance. Difficult. It's a little difficult position. For when right, I, when I'm right. But I feel it's important. We do no, this all like, the time. I like this approach. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Socratic method and debate. Like I any idea, right, that you put out there, it, it has to be able to be challenged and you have to accept that challenge. Otherwise, the idea has no merit, you know, and if you point out information that contradicts what I say, I'd be happy to change my mind. I love it because I, I really do believe in, in, in what you're saying right now. I've, I've been converted um, and I, so it's very, uh, we could have this wonderful, uh, uh, conversation where we're just screaming at each other in agreement. Uh, but I like, <laughs> I like, I like to have, uh, somebody ask honest questions because I think it's important. 
because this is such there's like very black belt conversations. Some of them are darker than others. And but this one to me is like right in there with that. It goes against everything that not only we have been taught, just regular people, you know, dick joke comics who do podcasts been told, but also our medical community that people, when we see a doctor uh, in front of their name, we assume they have all knowledge on lockdown, that they know everything. <laughs> and that if you walk to them with a problem, they know the answer that will help you get say, uh, feel better. You know, it's like this notion that like, all you have to do is get to the hospital and you'll be saved. Like there's so many people like, get them to the hospital. Yeah. And like, oh my God, we got there. Yeah. And everyone oh, high fives. Oh, eventually they'll figure it out. Like in the show house. Yeah. Like yeah. eventually the guy's going to figure it out because right. he's a genius. So, so, we, well, so you know, there is there is a little bit of truth to that. And, and most people that I knew, you know, who went into healthcare as a profession, right, they, that's what they thought they were getting into. And but the thing is, if you look at the evidence put forth by the medical establishment itself, right, by Johns Hopkins, by other authors who published in the, the journal, the American Medical Association, you can add up that medical care itself when delivered you know, in the way that it's delivered is actually responsible for at least the third leading cause of death if you compare it to the CDC numbers. You know, that's from officially published data. So the the myth, the the cultural iconography, right, or the prestige of the medical profession, like you described it, that is played up in literature and TV and movies, and it's in our common, you know, belief system. But if you look at the hard numbers of what actually happens when people go under the healthcare system, you see something very contradictory, right? You see actually that it kills many, many, many people, right? More than pulmonary disease, because that's, that's the third leading cause of death that's definitely surpassed by these numbers, right? And then the only things ahead of that are cancer and heart disease. So if you look at it from a realistic, data-driven, scientific point of view, you see a very different picture than the one you described. Yeah, I mean, here's the whole thing. It's like, you know, we're kind of in this battle for the hearts and minds of uh, humanity. And you have science on one side, or what I call intelligence versus smarts, in my opinion. And, and, it, it, and it's, you could be both. But there seems to be these people that have, uh, you know, everything is data, but but they cite data without actually studying the data. They're, they don't act, like there's so many people <laughs> who have yes. so many arguments about science, What no matter what side you're on, that don't ever do any of the research or experiments that they are citing. They just take people's word on it. And, like, I know it gets super exhausting to question everything, but, like, at this moment in time, it's super important to do that, to question everything, to go, okay, it, it, so, so like, I know you want to talk about water because I really do want to talk about water, um, and I do think water is very, very important. Uh, there, there is one study out there, and it, it, it's shocking when you hear it. And that is that they've never in the history, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, doctor. They've never had an experiment where they have successfully in any way taken a quote unquote virus from one person and transmitted it to another person. Is this true? Am I right on that? Or am I just over uh, simplifying it? 
No, no, you're pretty much right. And there's kind of two ways of looking at it. One way is, did they ever have like a virus just by itself, like purified, where they gave it from one organism to another? And that they've never even attempted. But then there's the other thing that when they give some body fluid from somebody who's sick that they think contains a virus, but they haven't proven it, they, they've done that experiment, but the other person they gave it to didn't get sick. Like that, that to me is the most shocking thing out there. And like at that moment, when you tell people that what you will instantly see is a shutting down and a disengaging (laughs) of the conversation. I can tell you why. Okay. No, no, I can tell you why they shut down though. Partly because they want to see, they want to see the citations, you know what I mean? And, 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 and the absence of that, if you're just talking to somebody about this, no, I get that. it's hard to, you know, it's hard to swallow without actually reading it yourself. Right. Well, the, if they're the talking to me and I have my cell phone, I can send it right to them. Or yeah. Well, I mean, what, do, you, do you have those handy? I, I'm just curious. <laughs> I do. I, do. I mean, I'm sure our readers would love to, to read about it. I know. I know. I, I would can, love to read I it can give you the PDF or the, the author of the main one uh, that's most talked about is Rosenau, R-O-S-E-N-A-U. And it's from 1919. You can find it. It's the Spanish flu um, study. I can, you know, tell you all the details about it if you want. But uh, but that's a key, key thing that you guys are mentioning is that you not only have to actually read the, the, you know, the papers or look at the papers, but you have to read how the experiments were done, because that's the point where a lot of times they fudge their interpretations. And even mainstream guys like Professor Ioannidis at Stanford, right, wrote this huge article showing that more than half of all published scientific papers actually have false findings or conclusions that don't reconcile with their data for one reason or another. And then you have also the study of the peer review system, which shows that, you know, it doesn't uncover errors. Like they did studies where they purposely put like logic or mathematical errors into papers, manuscripts, and sent them to peer reviewers and they miss the errors. So these things get published all the time. And that's why you have to read it and and scrutinize it yourself. Johnny, thoughts on that? I mean, I, well, I no, no. I mean, I, I simply agree. I was just saying why I get it. You tell somebody that on the street, you know what I mean? Because yeah, they're it's just one hundred percent, Johnny. One hundred percent. Consume that, and, and even it. somebody who who is fully invested into this theory finds that so incredibly bizarre to me that this experiment has never been done. It's never happened yet. This is the one hundred percent. Uh, accepted uh, uh, belief. I like it. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. And when you sit there, and, you know, because I have daughters now, right? And I have daughters, and they're two years old, and they're just got kid cooties, which is the equivalent of adult AIDS, right? They'll just get you. Just <laughs> yeah. you just get near them, and you're like, oh my god, I'm dying, right? And and there'll be times where like those they're sick and they won't cough on me, they won't do anything, and then the next day I get I get I get like sick and I'm like, how did that happen? How did that happen? And then I remember listening to the virus uh, to all these people talking about this this um, you know the vaccine and like even the even the pharmaceutical companies were talking about shedding, and I was like, there's shedding going on. I go shedding was shedding, and then you start studying it. And they're like, okay, I get the vaccine. I have all these things happen. I can, 
I can trigger that in you. And I go, oh, that to me is train theory. That that says to me, that is train theory. Am can, I off can, on that? Can I, I ask one question, no, no, uh, Doctor? Right, right. I, I I I think there's an issue with defining terms here too because. We've had a couple of people on the show calling themselves terrain theorists, but they seem to be in two distinct camps to me. Some people that call themselves terrain theorists believe in viruses and, you know, they think that they exist and, and they infect people the way we've been taught, but that the cause of infection is typically uh, more to do with the, the weakened body, you know, the weakened terrain. What is there? Is there are there clearer terms we can use here uh, than than terrain terrain theory to kind of make that distinction? Do you do you, do those exist? Well, I mean, it, this is kind of complicated getting the nomenclature right because I would say you know that if if someone says that some kind of outside particle like a virus or a germ has any causal role in disease, that that's not consistent with what people would call terrain theory, but. Terrain theory isn't like a unified theory of medicine or health. Like there's different other things that are more like theories that are under the umbrella of terrain. But terrain basically just means that your health is determined based on the, you know, the physical and spiritual and vibrational milieu of your of your body and yourself rather than by some invader or saboteur uh, like a germ or that kind of thing. But there are theories like the theory of pleomorphism, which has to do with how bacteria come from these like tiny little stem cell type things called different names, but microzyma was one of the first names, right? And then there's, there's a theory related to, you know, toxemia, or toxins, that that's a major cause of illness. And that's, you know, my experience working with people definitely bears out that that is a major uh, factor of disease because when people do things that would get rid of toxic substances out of their body, that's when they heal from serious diseases. Okay, interesting, interesting. Now, are people in your in your field uh, that, that, that study and, and, and subscribe to the idea that you know, like, I, I guess we could call it pure terrain theory. Are they, are they doing their own research? Well, there are some people who are uh, doing research of various kinds. Um, like for, you know, and then th there's also, this is like a, a very new field. And if you look at how research, you know, is conducted, like laboratory research, for example, it's all through a centralized funding mechanism that doesn't look outside of the allopathic you know, channel. So it won't look outside of germ theory. They won't provide any funding from the government or from industry. And it's mostly the government that funds research. So you do have people who are researchers outside of this um, who are looking at a variety of things. Um, and so some of the people, like I think you had Bear Lando on the show before. Right now, he in his career has done a lot of research related to pleomorphism, which I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago with uh, Enderline, uh, who is one of the uh, most prominent scientists who did that work. Um, earlier in my career, I did a variety of research, um, mostly in biochemistry, cell biology. Uh, I worked in a couple of biotech companies. I did computer modeling. I also did public health research uh, in a CDC-sponsored uh, position doing AIDS surveillance in New York City with the New York City Health Department. So a lot of us have a variety of different kinds of research experiences. Um, I used to actually uh, teach 
uh, forensic psychiatric fellows research and we have some publications. It wasn't, that wasn't bench research, you know, like where you're mixing chemicals and doing cell cultures, but I, I've done that earlier, that type of work earlier in my career. So a lot of us who are in here, you know, Stefan Lanka is uh, also a very prominent voice and he was um, a postdoc virologist. Like he did his PhD in virology, did a postdoc. He actually discovered uh, what's called a giant virus, which lives in sea algae um, and studied that. And he actually purified it and showed that it existed. And it wasn't until he started looking into the alleged disease causing viruses like measles that he found out that they weren't actually doing real scientific experiments and they were fudging all of their data and that those things didn't really exist. So there are quite a number of people who have strong research backgrounds or who are conduct currently conducting some form of research like in this community. Oh, okay. I mean, I definitely wasn't, to be clear, I wasn't... Uh assailing anybody's credentials there i was just i was just well, curious no, if there was anything published that we could read oh yeah yeah absolutely there's um you know one thing is the on my website you'll find the statement on virus isolation which is um something uh that tom cowan and i did uh there's you know an excellent book called opium uh, aids opium diamonds and empire by nancy turner banks uh there's uh, tom cowan's book the contagion myth uh, which uh, is is very recent. Uh, there's a book, Virus Mania, which has Torsten Engelbrecht, uh, Klaus Kohnlein, and uh, uh, Sam Bailey, as, among other authors. So there's a lot of uh, uh, really strong research uh, that's been published in a variety of ways uh, speaking to this issue. Hey guys, I want to tell you about our friends at First Leaf. Do you feel like you kind of need a degree in grapes to find a great wine or shop by label, I guess? I don't even know. Or try to remember what tannies is, okay? Tannins. Tannins? Tannins. I don't even know how to say it. How am I supposed to remember what they are, okay? <laughs> Shouldn't it be easier? That's why First Leaf does the hard work for you. They make it simple to discover new wines you'll love without the hit or miss. Okay? My girlfriend loved this. Buddy. Really? Loved it, dude. Yeah, she loved it. She actually renewed uh, after our trial. Yeah, she Bam! Loved it. I mean, look at that. Helping Johnny get a little action. Thank you, First Leaf. Okay, First Leaf samples 10,000 wines a year from around the world and selects only the finest bottles. They take the time to learn what you like and what you don't like. Then they send you world-class wines tailored to your taste. It's just that simple, okay? It's just that simple. Johnny's lady's doing it. Uh, Xavier's mom is doing it. She loves it, dude. And if you're not happy with your wine you, you received, First Leaf will credit you for another. Does it get any simpler than that? No, it doesn't. So sign up today and you'll get your first six bottles for $39.95. Plus free shipping, okay? Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash tinfoil. That's tryfirstleaf.com slash tinfoil. Firstleaf, F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash tinfoil to get your first six bottles for $39.95 plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash tinfoil. Guys, I want to tell you about our friends at sterlingstockpicker.com. Listen, these are turbulent financial times, to say the least. The key to getting your money to work for you at times like this is to have solid financial advice. Our good friends over at Sterling Stock Picker know what's up and have created software for you to find winning stocks in crypto, even if you are new to investing. Hey, let's face it. 
Stocks are on sale, and it's time to start buying shares of companies that are undervalued. It's time to get your money to start working for you instead of you working so hard for it. Did you know the elites line each other's pockets using their company stocks? The key is to figure out which stock to buy and start racking in profits. Sterling Stock Picker shows you when to buy, sell, hold, or avoid, okay? I love it. It's a, you know, I've talked to these guys. We've uh, had conversations. They are in line with Tim Fall Hat's values, okay? And if you look at the, the, in the interface that you actually will be using when you're using Sterling Stock Figure, it's really easy to understand. They explain everything point by point. It, it's perfect if, if you just kind of want to dip your toes in or if you're somebody who's really advanced at stock trading. It's really a great service. So let's face it. You work hard for your money. Don't you think it's time you start getting your money to work hard for you? The stock market has been around for 120 years. More millionaires are made from investing stocks than any other asset class. Sterling Stock Picker was created to help you get better returns than mutual funds and start investing in stocks that are crushing it during this pandemic. The software is truly unique. I like that you can be a brand new investor and find winning stocks in three clicks. There's even weekly live streams by the founder who shares which stocks to buy and what to sell. So you'll always be in the know. This is what I want you to do. Head over to sterlingstockpicker.com slash hat and grab your full free 14-day trial. That's Sterling, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, stockpicker.com slash hat. You'll be glad you did. I got a question. Where does blood transfusions go into terrain theory? In what sense? In like people getting diseases or viruses through a blood transfusion? Where does terrain go into there? Is there... Yeah, sure. Well, you're basically injecting rotting flesh into somebody because once you take the blood out of the body, it immediately starts dying and, and undergoing, uh, you know, putrefaction or, or the de normal decomposition process. And so that means that the contents of the cellular material there is getting leaked out and um, under destruction. So that exposes the recipient to a lot of things that it shouldn't be um, exposed to. And that's why it causes the type of reactions uh, it does, I would say, by my best estimation. But they, they actually have a way of looking at blood samples um, that I learned about through John Stuart Reed. And he's someone that's actually currently doing research uh, related to health. And he was looking at these um, donated blood samples and exposing them to sound, including human singing, and found that many of the cells that were in the dying process would actually come back to life by exposure to the sound. But he told me about this instrument that measures some optical property of the blood sample and tells you basically the proportion of cells that are still alive. And uh, so just so you know, like that, you can imagine if you injected a rotting piece of steak into your body yeah, yeah. that you'd be likely to get sick from it, right? So that's essentially what you're doing. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. There's so much going on. You know, so it's like we always talk about this cold sores on your lip. And you're like, oh, you gave somebody a cold sore. Can you get what is a cold sore? And can you give somebody a cold sore? Well, so let me just make one important point, because, you know, what, what I started off doing was just looking at the experiments that they say, you know, 
where they say germs cause these diseases, right? And many times there isn't actually an experiment like you pointed out. Like there's not an experiment where they take the fluid out of a herpes blister and, you know, inject it into another person and then see if they get a herpes blister. So I, I know that many things are just not proven to be true. And but then there's still the illness, right? Because people do get blisters on their lip. You know, the, what we, whatever we call herpes is a real thing, right, that people experience. So what is it? So I'd like to be able to, you know, quote scientific studies that show this, but simply none are done because all of the funded research would say that the herpes virus causes, you know, these problems. But what I think causes it is a combination of your body wanting to get rid of excess toxins and your skin being weak from most likely from not getting enough collagen or uh, certain types of nutrients in your body. So, and many people seem to suffer from this on the modern Western diet that their skin gets thin and atrophic over time and then their body starts to express toxins through the skin. And the fluid that's in those herpes blisters is essentially something your body's trying to get rid of. And th this is an important principle that whenever something comes out of your body, that means you know your body wants to get rid of something that's in that. And we have the normal stuff day to day, you know, like pee and poop and sweat. But when you start making snot and pus and things like that and, you know, blister fluid, all those things, you know, that means it's something non-routine that your body needs to get rid of. And so that's that's how I would explain it. And people who I've, uh, you know, kind of taught this approach to it and when they do some cleansing and eat some like bone broth to get extra collagen, that kind of thing they stop having herpes outbreaks. So the whole con game for the longest time is been controlled by the AMA, right? The American Medical Association. I've read a book on it. It's called uh, Murder by Injection. And it oh, that's a great book. I love the book. I mean, you were all, you're like, what? You're like, that all happened? And you just watched a systematic control over the medical community the way they made uh, chiropractics and uh, and uh, any homeopathic type of um, uh, science got ran out uh, that's funding right. for uh, uh, their their schools their their certificates the, any of that stuff any of that got got dried up and they became like outliers and uh, outlaws within the medical community and it just comes down to you know these uh, just this very powerful group of people the rockefellers who basically wanted to get everybody into the virus theory and what and viruses were the problem and so they hijacked the way we train our doctors is that correct yeah so it's funny you mentioned this because i actually have uh, another film called hippocratic hypocrisy that is about this very issue and i think you're referring to the flexner report which was commissioned by rockefeller and also jp morgan and it was to basically to ch it functioned to change the entire medical education system in the united states toward this model of cut burn poison that we have now you know that's the other euphemism for the allopathic system and the germ theory is a integral part of that i mean do you know that some diseases like jock itch for example or variations of that they used to treat with radiation therapy in this model <laughs> and 
And the, the also like, uh, you know, 50 years before the Flexner report, allopathic physicians in the United States were routinely prescribing arsenicals, which contain arsenic, and mercurials, which contain mer- uh, mercury, as medicines, even to teething babies. Oh my so, God. you know, that's the, that's the origins of what Rockefeller helped to transform the education system to in this country. And then it comes down to two gentlemen that have a view of how uh, how disease and sickness happens. One is Louis Pasteur, and the other one is uh, the gentleman who pushed out the train theory. Of, uh, his name escapes Antoine me. Antoine Béchamp. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about your any knowledge you might have on, on their relationship and what how one was celebrated the other one was shunned and any thoughts on that absolutely and there's an excellent book that covers this in depth by ethel d hume that you can look up i think it's pasteur or bechamp it's called but bechamp was essentially a serious scientist Um, he was a natural products chemist and he started doing these experiments to study microorganisms and fermentation and you know fermentation we know is the process that you make uh, beer and alcohol um, and also some fermented uh, vegetables like uh, lacto-fermented pickles and it's when you have a sugar source and then a microorganism and it converts the sugar source into something else like alcohol and Bechamp was doing these experiments, and essentially after he had some success, Pasteur would kind of copy the experiment and then take on the conclusions, but do it in a way to sensationalize himself. So there's this great example where um, Bechamp, you know, did this experiment in a flask with fermentation using the air to provide the microorganism to ferment. So Pasteur went to repeat the experiment and claim it as his, but instead of just doing it, you know, in his laboratory, he toured around the south of France and went to vineyards and captured the special air of each vineyard and made it a public relations campaign and had photographers and news coverage, right? Because he was basically trying to make a name for himself and get in with the French royalty and get funded and such, and he was very successful at doing that. There's a, a really interesting book by a Princeton professor Professor, which um, talks about the uh, diary that he had that was um, finally released by one of his like third generation ancestors uh, that you can learn about a lot of this. But Bechamp continued to do the work. And of course, um, he initially thought that fermentation required a germ from the air to come in, which is kind of like similar to germ theory that the germs out there and then it invades your body. But then later on, he found that the germs are actually present right in the plant material or in the animal even itself. And Pasteur never kind of got the message on that and that line of research, which um, became the beginning of the theory of pleomorphism, because what uh, Bechamp found is these tiny little particles that he calls a microzyma, which were essentially like the stem cell. They could become any kind of bacteria. And they're in our body, in all these cells, and several other scientists have replicated this and shown this to be the case. And when we need them, 
they come out of our body of our cells in different parts of our body and they turn into certain species of bacteria or sometimes even fungi or other microorganisms to help recycle and clean up any damaged material in our body or help process and remove toxins or foreign materials from our body and that's what Beauchamp really discovered but because Pasteur had made a name for himself in all all these things and then he developed the pasteurization process which was adopted by governments then he was remembered in history even though Beauchamp's subsequent experiments actually disproved most of what Pasteur claimed and it was really interesting that Pasteur when he started off before he copied Beauchamp's intermediate experiments he actually thought uh, believed in spontaneous generation that Uh, organisms just come out of thin air or out of the ether spontaneously that they don't come from some source that already exists in nature it's so insane right and you know we've talked about this before we you know we've had jamie deluxe on and you know we've talked about like how we how we train our doctors and you know we use the example before we use it again if you teach somebody from a very young age that red is blue right forever whenever they see red they're going to say i see blue you're teaching them so if you teach that these toxins that the that your body naturally puts out is in fact a virus a foreign agent let's say from the outside that has come to infect that's what they're going to see they're going to see i have a funny example of this because you know i um, most people don't know, but I actually have kind of a silly side. So when my daughter w- was really young, every time she got the hiccups or someone else did, I said, oh, the hickly dickly ups, right? Because it got a laugh out of a, a young child, right? So s- fast forward several years, she's in school now in kindergarten, and she has the hiccups and her teacher says, oh, you have the hiccups. And she goes, no, they're the hickly dickly ups. And she's like arguing with the teacher about what they're called. (laughs) Right. So you see, like, of course, a child is going to believe their parent or the authority figure. And they'll even argue that with strangers. Right. Even if it's the false belief. And I had to kind of put my foot in my mouth and explain to her that I did that in an entertaining, loving way and not meaning to, you know, deceive her. (laughs) But that, but that's how, you know, it sticks the belief you're told at that young, precious age about if Johnny coughs on you, you're going to get sick. You're going to get his germs, right? I mean, kids even invented the cootie shot game, right? Based around this. So this thing sticks your whole life and it becomes foundational. You never question it. You never think it might possibly be untrue. Can I, can I ask, uh, what is it, that uh, scientists and students are observing under electron microscopes uh, that they are being told are viruses. Uh, what, 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 what are those actually? Well, um, you know, I'd like to say first, there's a lot of problems with electron microscopy in general because what you have to do to the biological tissue in order to do electron microscope, like you have to shoot it with an electron gun, heat it to high temperatures, freeze it, put toxic substances, solvents and heavy metals, sometimes even uranium is used. So whatever you're seeing, it's hard to tell how close that lines up with what's actually in a living organism. Can you, can, but can, that being can you show said, there, there, 
What? Can you show them these and then find out which one would even look like what would be? Well, I think these? most of those are are, is, are renderings. Or is there any of them that are like Google? Not. Google like early well, so images actually, of like bacteriophages. Pull that back because there's something uh, you should look at in there that's interesting. Um, there was one that looks like a spaceship. Do you see that? Which one? Um, Go down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, right oh, there with the legs on the yeah, bottom. Yeah, there like, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, so that, that's a bacteriophage, and that, that looks like a real microscope image. Yeah, that one. Yeah. So now these are, um, now that shouldn't really be called a virus because those are found in bacteria. There's something that is involved only in bacteria uh, colonies or cultures called a bacteriophage. So it's no, no scientist claims that this is the kind of thing that could make a person sick. Um, but, but the thing is that those particles, those bacteriophages, they can reliably take them out of a bacterial culture and purify them and show an image like that. In fact, there's another image above it that shows a different one where all you see in that image are those things because they've separated it from all the other material. And then you can see that it has a very distinctive shape, right? Morphology. And so you can easily identify that if you see it in a mixture of other things because there's almost nothing else that looks like that, right? So that's very distinctive from what the pictures look like of these so-called uh, pathogenic viruses that they say cause disease. So if, if you find a picture of those, you can see how uh, it, it's quite a contrast. So are, those, are these pictures that we're seeing, are these actual things or are these like renderings? Well, some of them are actual so i'll tell you a couple of things an electron microscope image is going to be in black and white so so sometimes they colorize it after the fact but that's artificial so you could just toss out anything in color um and say that's not a real microscope image and then i can help you identify what's what but a lot of the things that people see that are in the news media um, and other sources are actually made by artists, and they're not real pictures of anything from a microscope. That's so. In so fact, uh, the graphic artist who created the main like SARS-CoV-2 cartoon, I think, won an industry award for it. <laughs> that's, that's so. Cute. That'd be so hilarious for best psyop. Um, <laughs> so so so. When, so just kind of to clear up what Johnny said. So when the, so when they look into a microscope, and I, I know you're you're saying that there's some problems with that. Are they seeing an exosome? And when they look at that, is that what they're looking at? But they think it's a virus. Yeah. So if you take any cells that are damaged, they're poisoned in some way, like in the cell cultures in these experiments, they call it cytopathic effects, which just means diseased cell. What, what happens when cells undergo the disease and dying process, like they're poisoned, they're heated too much, you know, you drill into them, whatever kind of thing happens to harm them, they go through this process where they disintegrate into little particles. Like first they put out particles kind of like a distress call perhaps. We don't really know the true function of it. But ultimately as the cell dies, it disintegrates into particles. And part of the reason for that, I think, is to prevent the contact, 
contents from inside the cell to be exposed to the surrounding tissue because there would be like enzymes that would be, you know, could, could digest things or there might be, you know, toxins or waste products that the cell was storing and it doesn't want those to get out and damage your other tissues. So it kind of secures them all in some kind of membrane container. And it's these particles that they're, that they're seeing and or showing on the microscope. And you can see if you look at the pictures, there's multiple different particles there because the, it's kind of a random process. There's not like you know, these particles that the cell disintegrates into, it's not like a distinctive thing. Uh, it's, you know, it's just kind of like debris. You could think about it. Like if you, if your house, uh, you know, suddenly a tree fell on it, like from a hurricane and it was beyond repair, but you were going to clean it up, you'd take all the damaged things, the broken pieces of debris, the dust, right? You'd put it all in trash bags, and you'd put it out on the street, right? So it, it's contained. It doesn't, you know, spread everywhere or whatever. And that's kind of the same thing that a damaged cell is going through. And they're just showing the trash bags. And they might be different sizes or have different things in them. But essentially, it, you can't make a claim that it's any more specific than that. Ah, I get it. So whether it's trying to get rid of toxins or the cells dying, your body naturally kind of bags them up? To be put yep. out to trash. Now, now, how would you then explain uh, viruses among plant life? Well, I mean, uh, it depends what you're talking about. Like, a lot of people want to talk about the tobacco mosaic uh, virus, for example. And I think um, uh, that Dr. Sam Bailey has an excellent video on that where she, you know, did the research. But the idea comes from that if you take a diseased plant with tobacco mosaic virus and you put it in a blender and then you filter the liquid so nothing big like nothing the size of a cell or even a bacterial cell could get through that only like molecules basically like proteins you know salt things like that could get through and then you take that fluid from the diseased plant and you uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how you do it, but you apply it to the other plant, then that plant shows the size of signs of disease. And this might be like s similar or analogous to rabies, where you have one animal that's obviously sick and making this toxic, foamy saliva that it's trying to get out of its body. And then it through a bite actually injects that foamy, toxic saliva into another animal and then they get sick. Right. And so you're basically taking the, the toxic product of disease and then putting it in a healthy organism, thereby poisoning that organism and showing, you know, the illness. So that, you know, is, seems possible. And that would be exactly the shedding issue that Sam was alluding to earlier is related to that. And, and you know, there's an interesting thing related to uh, about that, because. The FDA is aware of the shedding issue, and they, if you're going to use a gene therapy like an mRNA, mRNA injection, you have to actually do special shedding tests. It's a requirement to get your, your uh, treatment approved, and what you're supposed to do is test all the body fluids of the person who gets the gene therapy for the gene product, you know, what the mRNA is supposed to make. So you would test, you know, the, the urine, the sweat, the saliva, tears, blood, feces, even possibly semen, 
because if any of those fluids contain the foreign gene product, like maybe it could be making some chemotherapy for a cancer patient or making, you know, the the so-called spike protein for the COVID uh, shot, then you would say, oh, is it in the body fluid? Because if, if it's in the semen and then they have sex with their you know, partner, well, then they're actually injecting the spike protein into their partner's orifice, right? Or if, they, if it's in your saliva and then you kiss or you share a beverage or something like that, right? Then you're taking this poison substance that your body's making for some weird purpose and putting it into another person. They want to know that. Because the FDA in this case redefined what a vaccine is and said that this mRNA is, is not a gene therapy, it's a vaccine, it then was able to bypass any requirement for that shedding study. Can I, can I ask then That's what... That's nuts, can, dude. Why, that is so nuts. Can I ask this? I, oh, w- sorry. W- no, no, no. I mean, I just... I, rab- rabies then. I mean, a, a, a virus, uh, if we want to call it that, with a, you know... A zero survival rate, essentially. What? What is? I mean, is that just gnarly shedding? I mean, what are we talking about? Well, it about might here be a now? zero survival rate because any animal they find with rabies, they kill. But well, but I, I mean, humans. I mean, what we know in the early in nature. Yeah. Okay. But you, because are... you know, so rabies is an interesting thing because not only have I never seen of or heard of a case like as in my time as a doctor or in medical school, but. Every infectious disease doctor that I was taught by, I asked about seeing a case of rabies, and not one of them had seen a case of rabies in a human. Now, I have seen people injected with the rabies vaccine in an emergency department, Mm. but I've never seen a a human actually with rabies. So that's kind of interesting. So you're suggesting perhaps it doesn't exist? I just want to be clear. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know if, you know, exactly. Like, I have a theory about it, um, yeah. but I, ha- yes, I don't have direct <laughs> experience. Let's hear but your I'll theory. I'll tell you this, that, that there's, you can't tell me that the only thing that might be transferred in a bite from one sick animal to another is a virus, right? In that sick, you know, saliva secretion of that rabid animal, there's got to be thousands of different things in there. Right. There's cells from that animal. There's things the body's trying to get rid of. There's proteins. There's enzymes. There's uh, coagulation factors. There's, you know, antibodies. Right. All these kinds of things. So how do you if, you know, if you can prove that the illness is spread and I'm not sure that this experiment was done either by, you know, through something that that is in the bite you'd have to do different experiments to show what it was because you can't take a mixture of a thousand things and produce an effect and say one one of those thousand things only produced the effect, right? You, you'd, you'd have to say, okay, the mixture, something in the mixture or maybe a combination of things produced the effect. Now we have to test each thing individually. So first we have to then find a virus. Well, they've never actually found a rabies virus. So they can't do that experiment either. Okay, so you say they've never found a virus. So you, all those like Wuhan labs and all that is that all propaganda? Well, so like yeah, we're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into okay, that. Okay. Yeah, we're- but they did do with rabies. Sorry, they did do what you described earlier with what was it, the tobacco virus or whatever the hell. They 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 did it too. They they filtered right to the point where nothing but the tiniest of particles, including bacteria, were filtered out. Right? Hasn't that been done? I'm um, I'm not familiar with that paper. Okay. All right. All right. And and in in in. You, you're, are there documented cases of people dying of rabies? Are you saying there aren't many or any? Is that, is that right? 
Well, there, you know, like um, there days? may be a case report like I you could search in the literature um, and maybe find something. But how do you know that they actually had rabies? Because there's no diagnostic test where they can take a sample and then show a virus. Okay. Right. They only have tests like the PCRs or antibody tests, which show indirect proof. And they have to be validated first against the gold standard to show that they're reliable. But they've never done that because they've never been able to actually show a virus. But even by their gold standard, they don't do these experiments okay. to, val you know, to validate a diagnostic test. Like, uh, uh, you know, this is any, any test or any device that provides a measurement in order to show that it measures or tests what is said to, you have to first validate it, right? Which means you compare it against something that you know that does the job and you say, is it pretty accurate compared to that? Right. So like, for example, if you wanted to test a speedometer for a car, right, you could like um, have measure out two points and get a stopwatch. Right. And like click time, how long it takes to travel that known distance and then calculate it and then compare that number to what it shows on the speedometer and calculate an error rate. Right. And show if it's accurate or not. But for these diagnostic tests for viruses like the HIV antibody tests or the, any of the PCR or any of the other COVID tests, because they're all based on the PCR, um, or many other things, hepatitis C antibodies, all these other things, they've never undergone that basic validation study where they you know, get 100 people and they do their virus isolation procedure and show the virus in 100 people and then do the test in the 100 people and say, you know, do the results match up and then do another 100 people that don't have the virus that are, you know, that are sick and make sure none of them have a positive test. Like that's the first thing you do. If you go to the FDA website and how to get a diagnostic test approved, step one is show the essentially the error rate, which you only can calculate by doing that validation study I just described. So it's the first step. But because of this emergency use authorization, Jeez, they don't have to do it. So they, in other words, they never did the basic validation study of any of these diagnostic tests. Okay. With rabies, they would get an exception. They say there's not enough cases or they would use some kind of, you know, animal data to try to back it up or something like that. See, to but me, it's never this, been done the proper way. This would be a great candidate for crowdfunding. People, people who think like you, I would think, would want to, to crowdfund this kind of research, you know, because if, if, if you could do it and do it right, I mean, I mean, damn, that's to have that on the record would be would be what would you do, though? You think? Well, it would. I well, mean, it would be know, the kind of thing that would sway people uh, like would me. It, honestly, though, yeah, absolutely. Johnny? I mean, I can tell you it would. Yeah, I can tell you right now because I'm that person. Well, let me uh, give you an example because um, Stefan Lanka, uh, just a year ago, he um, partnered with an anonymous scientist in an, in a you know university laboratory, <laughs> who's afraid um, to reveal her identity because she thinks she'll get fired for doing this. Um, she, he conducted a control experiment for a virus isolation. In other words, he did the same experiment that they do that they say proves the existence of the, of the virus in, in a person who they took a biological sample. And he did that experiment, but he didn't include any possible source of a virus. So no fluid from a person, just the experiment without that. What virus are we talking here? Sorry. Well, the thing is, there was no virus in the experiment at all. 
is what I'm saying. He did the virus isolation experiment without a virus. Oh, I see. So I see. Okay. No possible source of a virus, just the cell culture, the uh, antibiotics, the reduced nutrition, nothing else. Yeah. Johnny, we know that. Well, no, but wait, we, we got to hear what, what right? happened. Well, he, he showed that they got the same cytopathic effects that is given as proof of the presence of a virus. What virus did it indicate? Well, it's the proof of any virus. That's how, they, that's how they prove a virus is in a biological sample. They don't do, see you're confused because you're thinking common sense would be as if you're going to find a virus that causes a disease in nature, you'd get some animal that has the disease and then you'd just take the virus directly out of that animal, right? Yeah. They say they can't do that. The virologists say they can't do that. And they've, they never, they attempted it at, um, before 1954 and they failed every time. And then in 1954, they adopted um, a new procedure that doesn't actually find viruses, uh, which is what uh, I, the Lanka experiment was exposing. But then they stopped doing the real experiment. So in other words, instead of giving up and saying, these viruses must not exist, we can't find them, we tried really hard, they said, oh, we'll use this other experiment that, that actually won't find viruses, but we'll say it does. Because that experiment actually won the Nobel Prize for a new way of manufacturing vaccines. Yes, dude, that's well, it, that's Johnny. So, so, well, okay, so you're saying that the... It, it came, I don't know if it, these are the right terms, but it was positive for a virus that no. even though there was no input, it so indicated a virus. What I'm saying is that the real way you would find something that exists in nature is like going to the source of nature and then taking it out and yeah. examining it, right? Studying yeah. it, like take it apart, look at what it's made of, things like that. So the virologists, once the small. electron microscope was invented and they could see things that size. For over 10 years, they tried to do this. They, they had people with all kinds of diseases that they say were viruses. And they tried to take their disease tissue, because they did this with bacteria, you know, before, and find virus particles in their disease tissue, and they couldn't find any. All they found was this mixture of these breakdown, uh, you know, products, these little bags of, of trash. And, but there was never one that was distinctive like that bacteriophage that could be recognized or one that like there were a bunch that were all the same size and shape together like it was one thing. They were just mixtures of different random things. And they were basically giving up. And then Enders developed this procedure to use, um, it was thought before that you could only use the cells that were infected by a virus to culture and grow the virus. So like, Polio affected the spinal cord, so you'd have to grow it in spinal cord cells to make more of the virus to make a vaccine from. And Enders found that he decided to use different kind of cells. He used cells from an aborted fetus because they're much easier to grow in the laboratory. And so he could manufacture a lot more of what he was doing because he could grow them way easier. Spinal cord cells are super hard to grow in the lab. And he got the Nobel Prize for this. Now, he wasn't attributed to inventing the polio vaccine. That was Jonas Salk, but they worked together. 
and it was his manufacturing technique that allowed them to make enough to get distributed to the population, and that's why he won the Nobel Prize. But after that, that manufacturing procedure suddenly became um, accepted as proof that the virus exists in the first place. Now, this was kind of by sleight of hand, because when Enders who developed it, published a paper on measles about this, he didn't make that claim at all. In fact, he said that what we see in this tissue culture experiment doesn't reflect what's going on in the individual with measles. And he also found that when he did the experiment, he found the same effects, those cytopathic effects, which they say are proof of a virus, in samples that he didn't include anything from a measles patient, so they had no virus in them. And in the paper, he wrote that it must have been caused by other factors, quote. So what does so, that even mean, other factors? That's a, well, it that's means, a you know, that essentially it invalidates the experiment, yeah, and he didn't totally. want to say that outright. But that's other hilarious. factors, meaning something else is damaging the cells in the cell culture, it's not a virus, because there's no virus in the experiment. Amazing. So when they say they're, when they use this, this phrase, isolating the virus, what, what, that just mean, is meaningless? So it doesn't mean isolate. What it means is they take the putative source where they think the virus is, so like the, the lung fluid of a sick person right. with pneumonia, and they add that to a cell culture that they also starve and poison, and then they show that the cells in that culture start showing signs of damage, like when they break down into those particles. Okay, okay. And they say that that damage is the proof that there's a virus in the lung fluid that you added in in the beginning. But they don't do a control experiment where they use the lung fluid from a person with lung cancer instead of pneumonia that won't have the virus or the lung fluid from a healthy person or just doing it with no lung fluid at all, but keeping every other condition of the experiment the same. That's called a, a control. And you have to do a control experiment to show that the variable you're looking at actually explains what you're seeing. And when Stefan lost, so Enders did that originally and showed that the control was positive. And then Lanka did this about a year ago and once again showed the control with no virus is still positive. So, so that is the clear scientific experimental evidence. And by the way, I can give you the paper on original monkeypox paper from 1959 also showed that it was positive in monkeys that were healthy that had no pox. So same thing. Um, a positive Damn, control. So now it's great. been done three times, two times it's been published, and then Lanka is unable to get his published in a peer-reviewed journal because of censorship, yeah. not because it's unscientific. And, you know, so we have the three times disproven virology or the existence of viruses through this experiment, and yet people still are not willing to look at this and admit that this actually invalidates this whole theory. Well, can I, I, I'm not, you know, Sam asked me to be the devil's advocate here, and I just don't yeah. feel I'm an effective uh, vessel for that. So I might ask you, what, what do you, what would the, the well-educated virologist response be to the things you've said? Uh, you, you've well, encountered them, I'm sure. What, what do they say? 
so uh, I'll give you a little anecdote because um, so there have been some journalists, uh, you know, who are really, really hell bent on setting up a debate between me and my, uh, you know, colleagues and and a real virologist. And there have been some, you know, close calls. So there was a, a real virologist who I had a preliminary call with that was, you know, moderated by one of these journalists. And um, this is a very intelligent person, actually, and who wasn't tied to every mainstream scientific opinion. But he really was totally unfamiliar with my argument. So on this call, I had to kind of explain it to him and then give him you know, written materials to help him understand exactly what I was saying so that he could decide if he wanted to debate me, right? So we took a, he, I gave him a couple of weeks. That's like handing them yeah, a the playbook. They're uh, like, here's my playbook. That's so unfair. I'm going to run See, all these plays and get your defense I right. Want, I want him to find holes, you know, if there yeah, are any. Yeah, that's science, I guess, right? Yeah. So... So a couple of weeks passes and um, we reach back out again and we have some email exchanges and we're trying to kind of settle on the, the exact debate question. And this is what he says to me. He says, you know, science really can't prove anything. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck, man? Oh, that's pathetic. So uh. essentially what he's saying is that he knows that I was right, but he's not willing to go out there and, and admit it to the world. That's pathetic. That's now, like everything else. Well, we've talked about it on this show a bunch of times. I get hit up all the time about it. There's an FDA document which breaks down the CDC's, uh, you know, their, their use of the PCR test. Page 41, second paragraph, it literally says in... A way that even someone dumb like me, okay, flunk first grade, functionally illiterate, okay, can can read it goes, without isolating the virus, being unable to isolate the virus, that they used another substance to build the COVID PCR test. The creator of the PCR test told you it doesn't test for any one thing. It's all right so there. This Sam, this is like, uh, you know, an amazing thing, because this is exactly what I was talking about with that validation study for a diagnostic test, because they would have to, uh, you know, have do the viral isolation and compare the test results to that to actually validate the test. But since they didn't do that because they can't, they made synthetic DNA or RNA, like using a machine in a laboratory and they, they validated the PCR for that. It's unbelievable. It just the whole thing is unbelievable. It's, yes, it is. It's and I, I I get on stage and I'll say that to people, and the room, even in a bunch of truthers, will get quiet. It will just get quiet because the notion is so insane. They never isolated the virus to make the test, which is telling you. That you have COVID. It's not, I like, so we had this rash where everyone got COVID, right? And they're like, you got to take a test. I'm like, I'm never taking a test ever. I'm not taking it until you can prove to me that I can actually test for COVID. I won't. I'm like, I go read it. I show it to everybody. I send it to a guy who's like a, more of a left truther. He's like, I'm going to ask my 
I'm going to ask this doctor to come on. Never got back to me on. And he's a great guy. That's not against him. But that notion is so insane. People cannot digest this giant assault that happened on humanity based on nothing. Based on nothing. And, you know, did you ever think about the, uh, the guys who, uh, you know, own companies or have shares in companies that make these PCR kits? Like they're just running away to the bank every day, right? Because they, they can make up a test. They don't even, doesn't even have to be the real PCR. It could almost be anything. You remember? Um, right, because there's, there's no standard there's, to that it's held to, and they could just sell it. And everybody's buying it, right? Every government, every town, every city, every employer, right? And, and, and dude, they literally, ha- literally there was an article forever that was being passed around through the truth of com- community says, the CDC no longer wants us to use this type of PCR test because it cannot tell you the difference between COVID and the flu. And on this date, December, like, I think it was like, it wasn't Christmas, but it was like 29th, we're going to stop using this test. And then all the articles would come out. New test uh, bought by uh, Bill Gates and George Soros uh, will be being used at the, have you ever heard anything about that new test? Have they ever told you what the name of the new test is? The, the, the Gates and Soros, prickly, pickly, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. So how do you know I they're using when it? That, uh, when that date came up, because, you know, of course, I heard about that and, or saw it on their website, and then that date came up and nothing changed. Nothing! Uh, you know, it was kind of strange. I mean, well, if the vaccine was so, so infectious, why did you need to stick something up my nose? Couldn't, you just, couldn't I just spit on something? Yeah, I mean, but that's not even the point. The point is is that there's no test at all for the vaccine, the virus. It doesn't matter if you're shoving something up my nose or pricking me with something. Well, well, let me say something about that because, you know, like I've seen nasal swab tests before and they never were like that. And so I was kind of like, what the heck is going on um, with this? And uh, I found one paper that showed a a procedure where they use long sticks like that. And do you know what the purpose was? Oh no, here we go. It was to deliver drugs to the directly to the brain. No, no, no. That's what I was wondering. Why does that have to go up so deep? If it's so contagious, Xavier point Xavier. Yeah. If it's so contagious that I got to wear a mask. Am I dying? Can I ask you, doctor, uh, why is it now that if the human organism, you know, which, which, as we understand it, has been relatively stable now for quite a while. Uh, why then do we have novel symptoms, uh, you know, of shedding? Like, like, like we all, everybody in this room lost their scent mm-hmm. and, and, and their, their scent and uh, taste. Uh, why, why then? Why? I mean, that seems to me a new thing and 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 novel uh, to this recent uh, outbreak. If you, I mean, you know, I'm going to use their terms there. Outbreak. Uh, why, why is that? How does that happen? Well, let me ask you, when you say you lose your taste, does that mean if you put salt on your tongue, you can't detect it? Or does it mean that it's more like the, really the scent of more sophisticated? No, flavors? no, I mean, it's pretty it gone. Nothing, when yeah. it was, when it was at its peak, I'm getting salt. Couldn't, I couldn't nothing. taste salt. Yeah. Nothing. Really? So you're saying that your, your taste buds were affected and your, and your, uh, smell sense. Yeah. It was just all gone at its peak. And at what its about peak. like, a, what about smelling a noxious substance? Like, uh, like ammonia? Would you be able to smell that? 
I tried, dude. I tried. Uh, I tried. What would you call it? essential oils? I mean, I tried so many things. No, no, no. But I mean, like, I'm just trying to sense like how bad was your smell? I could smell impaired. nothing. Yeah, I could smell nothing for for that. So even so, time. even if if I put ammonia in front of you, you wouldn't be able to smell it. No, like, I mean, I didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't test ammonia, but I you did test okay. with so essential oils. That, that's I, actually something that neurologists do because there's kind of different levels of the sense, but. So this is, you know, it's neither, it's not entirely new and it's not entirely old. So there. It's a damn coincidence anosmia, that all three of us here got it though, right? I mean, that's, you're saying it's not new. Well, but. I, so uh, let me get into the possible okay. explanations yes, for please, that. Please. But, but I just want to like reassure people that this was actually very common before COVID. Um, in fact, in, I found one website that was a, an ear, nose, and throat doctor group where they had an article about this particular symptom, and they said it affects up to 20% of the population every year. So that's one in five people and most commonly associated with, you know, quote, viral infections. So in other words, colds and flu. Right. So so in a sense, it's already a common condition. Now, I know that a lot of people anecdotally describe that this is a more severe and prolonged beyond the acute illness Mm -hmm. that seems to have different characteristics right from in the past and i know that in the official channels they they associate this as like long COVID if it lasts beyond the illness or something like that but that's obviously fraudulent so the in a normal cold what happens is you just have inflammation so swelling of the tissues and it impairs the sensory nerve functions temporarily while you have the swelling and secretions But the other cause of this is a neurologic cause. And this often happens like with migraine headaches or seizures. It can happen with strokes um, in a certain part of the brain or certain types of tumors that affect the... So there are special nerves that come straight out of your brain called the cranial nerves that supply all the functions in your head and neck and, and some other parts of your body. And these are so, you know... The gustatory nerve and the olfactory nerve are the nerves that are involved in the the sense uh, uh, of smell and of taste. Now, what I suspect is happening is that people got exposed to a neurologic toxin that specifically impaired these particular nerves. So... One possibility could be actually from, now I don't know if this is, if you guys have experience wearing masks or doing testing, but... I think that that could be one of the causes because there have been masks that have been recalled for having like graphene oxide, which is a known toxin. Mm -hmm. So, and plus they're made of fiberglass and plastics, they're off gassing things, you know, all these things. So it could be involved in mask wearing and also could be involved in these swabs because like I said, these are really essentially a drug delivery system at the back of your uh, wall of your nasal cavity. There's uh, the trigeminal nerve, which is one of those cranial nerves and it can deliver things straight to your brain. So I would, you know, so uh, so we need There's no real research looking into this. Um, There's not even research like characterizing the, the nature of people's symptoms and how long they last and how prevalent it is. All we have are like people like yourself that said, oh, I got a cold and I lost my sense of taste and smell for like several weeks or maybe even a couple of months after that. That was unusual. But 
but we don't have any, you know, like say where we can say, okay, this 10,000 people in the United States have this, the, you know, the average time it lasts is 37 days. You know, we don't have that, even that kind of basic information, let alone a way that we can, you know, do biopsies or, you know, do um, um, a neurologic exam or do EEGs or, you know, other kind of testing that might reveal the possible cause. But I would say that most likely this is exposure to some kind of neurologic toxin that was inhaled because then it would have access to those particular uh, nerves that could be affected uh, through inhalation. So that'd be my, my best hypothesis. But we really need some you know research to, to get to the bottom of what this is. The good news is that for almost everyone, it is time limited and uh, they, those functions return to normal. Some people, when they take a zinc supplement, um, that helps get them back to normal because a, a zinc deficiency can cause that. So perhaps zinc is somehow involved and can overcome the toxicity. Oh, that's interesting because um, I'd always heard that zinc could cause uh, loss of smell. Is that, is that also <laughs> true? I don't know. Maybe if you snort it. No, but that's interesting. That's the one of the, the watch yourself reported side effects. I remember <laughs> snort anything. You know, I didn't. I actually didn't know this about his zinc deficiency until someone on one of my webinars mentioned that uh, they took zinc and it got better. And then I looked it up, and so it it was listed, you know, in the official you know medical literature as a symptom of zinc deficiency. So it's kind of interesting if it could be caused also by uh, zinc toxicity. Here, here we go. This is from the Mayo Clinic. It says uh, it recommends not using intranasal zinc. Uh, this form of, as you said, it was snorted. Yeah. Uh, this form there of zinc has been linked with the loss of the sense of smell. Uh, you know, you remember those like Zycams, the the ones that were uh, dosed intranasally. That that's I think what they're talking about yeah. there. Ah, uh, I see. Those are linked. Well, you know, there could be other adulterants in there too. But of course, um, yeah. one thing is that when people, if you do ever take a zinc supplement, which I don't necessarily recommend, make sure it has a little bit of copper in it. You don't want to take zinc without copper. Oh, interesting. Okay. So inter So, doctor, you you also have a. Um, you also have another movie that I'm excited to watch, which is The Way of the Water. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, that that is um, a workshop that is uh, coming up oh, this workshop. weekend okay. on the 5th. That, that's okay. Um, you know, it takes a while to make a movie. It was uh, about two years to make Terrain, but uh, we're, we're working on the next episode. Um, but it, it won't be out for a while. But, um, you know, what happened is I, I did... A, a water fast back in March for 26 days. What? Wow. Yep. What? Wow. Dude, you wow. had 26 days without eating food. Step your game up, Sam. You're oh the guy, huh? Step Correct. your game He's up, the guy Sam. we've heard about. Well, we've heard, you know, we've heard about people doing these long fasts. He's the guy. What'd you do? What's your longest, Sam? I did three days and I almost murdered an entire city. <laughs> <laughs> it, it gets easier actually um after the first few days but oh, wow. um but you know i mean all there's the time but i, I, I don't know maybe i'm just a special kind of fat ass but it's super inter i mean 26 days that's amazing they say it does wonders for longevity uh, is the thought anyway that's I, I i gotta get back on it i can't do 26 days i'll maybe do 2.6 days well you're not doing listen, three ever again if you you can do one day, you know, like just start slow and work, work up. Like I didn't start with 26 days, you know, I did s several three day fasts and then I did a five day fast, but you know, doing one that long, it's like, I wasn't just sitting at home by myself. Like I had 
you know, a program that I was doing it with. And so I had daily, you know, phone calls and there were other people that were all fasting, you know, at the same time at different stages. And so, you know, it's easier to keep going and do it. And you find that like that kind of food craving and all the hunger pangs that you have the first couple of days, like that stuff totally goes away. Um, and you get into it like a different kind of state of being. And, you know, this thing was so life changing for me. But what I really realized about it is that it wasn't just about the um, not eating, because that just like lets your body use its energy for healing instead of digestion. Right. But it was the water like it, it basically pu purifying the water of your entire body through this process. And this is what I've, I feel results in these amazing you know, health benefits. So I dove into all the research about water. And what I found is that like everything they taught us about water in school is also wrong. <laughs> oh, and that like it's not just some solvent hanging out in the background doing nothing. It actually is the most active part of biology and it like do you know that just with a glass of water if you stick a piece of plastic in it you can it'll turn into a battery why hmm? what yeah. you you can actually buy a clock that's run on a water battery like this like water has these amazing things like if you put any hydrophilic surface which is like what almost all our bodies made of Right, like the blood vessels, cells, all that stuff, everything is hydrophilic pretty much, except for fats, in our body. And when water gets near a hydrophilic surface, it separates the charge. It, it like forms a battery, essentially. And sure. it also like changes its properties from like this flowing, you know, liquid into this viscous liquid crystal gel structure. And that's what drives all of the like chemistry in our body and all of the function um, of our bodies. Yeah, I mean, do you have search terms for this? Because XG is only coming up with uh, clocks shaped like water droplets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said water battery clock. That's what. That's what water battery clock. Yeah. It didn't come up, huh? That's what came up. That's these what, little. Well, are these just are like, just shaped like water droplets. This so looks I don't like think some Japanese um, shit. Well. It's one of the figures in Gerald Pollack's book, The Fourth Phase of Water. So that's where I, I didn't look for the website to see how much it costs, but the, um, I can get that citation for you later if you want um, to put it in the show notes. Yeah, I yeah, mean, cool. water is very important. Uh, you, we were talking about how uh, it's not scarce, but abundant. And uh, I mean, yes. there's a lot of stuff out there that they don't want us to know about. Oil, we're paying out our asses for gas right now because it's like, bing, it's just hard to get in supply lines and, and you know, like peak oil and, oh, my God, oh, so much stuff. And well, what are you saying? Are you saying it's going to be like Chinatown where, who like, in the future, they're going to try to control the water? Is that what you Oh, mean? dude, okay. Hershey's already, like, dude, yep. the Hershey-like CEO was like, Wait, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Nestle, right. Was like, blah, blah, you yeah. don't get your water. It's not this guaranteed right. Blah, blah, you know, it's like. Just I, you could not be more evil. Is that him cat. stroking his cat? Is that yeah, that's his evil okay. cat. 
Listen, this this psyop is so big. They've convinced us to essentially drink our own pee and and toilet water. Because that, mm-hmm. that's what the municipal water is. It's the stuff that comes out of our toilets. Yeah, I don't trust that shit. Filtered and recycled man. back right to us. Well, can you talk a little, how, how is, is alkalinity relevant, uh, the acidity or alkalinity of the water? Is that, is that relevant? Absolutely. That, that's a big issue. That's one of the, that, so just to, to mention like this workshop is I'm going to talk about all of this science of water, the abundance of water, but mostly I'm going to deliver this step-by-step way that you can fully hydrate yourself. And so information like, you know, should I drink alkaline water or not is definitely something. And I would say don't, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, uh, was just looking for a graphic for my slide for this issue on pH. And I found this little graphic that came up, you know, and I wasn't looking for alkaline water or drinking or health. I just looking for pH scale. Mm -hmm. And this thing came up and it showed like all from all the way acidic to all the way alkaline. And it showed examples of substances that have different pHs. And on the left side, which was all the acidic stuff, like it showed like, you know, lemon juice and, uh, you know, stomach acid and saliva and blood and things like that. Blood was right in the middle. And so all the things like food, you know, animals, organisms, all this biological stuff. And then on the alkaline side, there were things like, you know, bleach, (laughs) uh, baking soda, lye, (laughs) you know, stuff that, you know, is all toxic. And I thought this was like really revealing um, that, you know, the water should be, you know, neutral to, to the acidic side and not on the alkaline side. Well, now I, I know, and, and tell me if this is just marketing spin, but I know that some of these uh, manufacturers of alkaline waters claim that it's That's it's right. natural alkalinity of like spring, like uh, mineral water from mountains and things. It, it's naturally alkaline. Is that is that not true? Well, you know, there are sources of water in nature that are of all pHs, and but my understanding is okay. uh, from Jennifer Daniels that you know, ancient people that when they came upon an alkaline water source, they stayed away from it as drinking water because essentially things were dying in that water source. Now, it also depends on, you know, when when we say alkaline, what is exactly the pH? Um, And then, you know, what I have in mind is about eight, by the way, it's about eight. Right. So that, you know, that's probably a little bit too high. Like for, so this has been a trendy thing. Um, you know, this alkaline water and some people actually add things to the water to make it alkaline or use certain types of, you know, filtration that results in alkaline water. And several clients have come to me who have done this and they've had health problems as a result of this because, you know, the stomach is highly acidic. In fact, it secretes hydrochloric acid, one of the most acidic acids, like a pH of around one point something. And that's what your stomach uses to, you know, for digestion of certain nutrients and also to, you know, keep uh, parasites and foreign materials denatured that enter your body. And if you drink a bunch of alkaline water, you're counteracting that physiologic effect. And then that can result in problems um, in the stomach lining, I, I feel, over time, or I've seen evidence of that 
you know, clinically in many people who chronically drink alkaline water. Other people who drink alkaline water seem to be in good health. So it seems that maybe some people are more susceptible or I haven't tested the pHs of these different waters. Maybe it's above a certain number. Maybe it has to do with how reliable they are about drinking that water all the time. And it probably has to do with other lifestyle factors. But in general, I think there's plenty of good reasons to avoid alkaline water in general um, and, uh, you know, just not worry about it beyond that. So what would you recommend we drink? Because, I mean, I just heard, like you said, I started drinking alkaline water because that whole, like right now I have one that says drinking water with flavored enhancing minerals. Right. So, Tommy, so don't drink that either. you've got a worse problem because you've got a water in a plastic bottle. Yeah, dude. No. So uh, water in plastic bottles um, in like independent testing is shown to have something like over 400 different man-made chemicals in it. Oh, my. So oh, what do we? Okay. So, so we're drinking. Yeah. I'm freaking oh, out right now. Where do we get our water from and what should we drink it out of? I know you're going to do a big seminar, but you got to like. Well, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give the easy answers. So the, for water, the most important thing is that, it, that it's pure. So if you can get access to a bona fide spring that's primary water and it has to be tested for that. So that means it's not mixed with any contaminated groundwater as it comes out of the ground like a pure spring um, that you can drink just right out of the ground and not worry about it. That's that's probably what nature intended us to drink. But if you have to rely on a municipal water source or even a well from an aquifer that's not a spring primary water source, then first thing you have to purify it because it's going to contain lots of bad stuff, heavy metals, agricultural runoff, um, uh, volatile organics, pharmaceuticals, uh, Mm -hmm. fluoride, chlorine, depending on where you get it from. And you want to, the most important, those are much more harmful to you than any other thing we've talked about in terms of the water. So you you need to purify it. And I recommend reverse osmosis or distillation to purify your water for those sources. Uh, Either one of those would be good. And then you can just drink that pure water and you'll have already made a big improvement for your health by reducing or eliminating your exposure to all those toxic substances. And then of course you can improve the quality of your water from that point, but if if everyone in this, you know, nation just took that step, there would be major improvements in health. Can I can I ask uh, cuz I'm someone who grew up on a farm and where glyphosate, uh, you know, is just used all around the country where I'm from. <clears throat> is that is that a concern for water sources? Uh, what what do you how, what absolutely? Your, that's okay. that's one of the nastiest things in the agricultural runoff that you don't want to be putting in your body because you know it's essentially it's a cancer causing agent. It also will kill the bacteria in your body that are you know performing uh, important functions. So there's a lot of um, health consequences. In fact, you know, it's quite likely that all of the gluten sensitive related disease is really not related to gluten, but it's related to glyphosate because, you know, almost all of the wheat that's hybridized like that is GMO wheat, which they douse in glyphosate. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. Ah, man, so much. I mean, like, I'm freaking out now. I got this water bottle. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I go to 7-Eleven. I don't even know what the fuck to drink I get anymore. Avion. Is Avion bad water? Fiji? What are we doing? You know, 
you you might be able to find some kind of bottled water that's good, but you'd really have to do your homework. Um, glass to, bottle, to I guess. See huh? where it comes from, and it would have to be in a glass bottle. Absolutely. Voss, maybe Voss is yeah, in a Voss glass bottle. Voss is. I think it's in a glass. I, bottle. You know, I used to think Fiji water was good, and then I uh, found some information and testing on it that showed it had contaminants as well. So. Damn. You know, it's it's hard to rely, you know, if all right, if you want a reliable brand, look up Ophora, O-P-H-O-R-A. You can have have it shipped to you, a water cooler and glass jugs of it if you want. That will That's definitely be clean. Was. But it's yeah, much right easier to just get yourself a filter and, and some bottles and just fill them up and carry them around with you. No, you're right. You know, I gotta That's what I do. I got to do that. Dang, dang. All right, ma'am. That Ophora water will set you back a pretty penny. Oh. <laughs> what about those machines that they sell? That they that I have some friend that paid like... Ionizing machines? Yeah, that he paid like $5,000 for his machine on down well, payments and all this. And he's like, I got the best water. Hydrate you by tomorrow. <laughs> no? there's. I, I'm not about, you know, gimmicks and technology so much. I try to emulate what, what nature provided. I feel that that is the way to optimal health. But that being said, there there are some things that might be promising for, you know, therapeutic purposes. But... Uh, none of the gadgets that I've seen have actually studies that, that really show anything conclusive. So for me, you know, like I don't want to spend my time learning or teaching about anything health wise unless it's pretty clear that people with a serious health condition can get better with it. Right. So that's kind of my if, if I don't if I don't hear that from a lot of people or the general community, I'm not going to really look into something because it's just a, I'm not interested in, you know, something that gives a mild benefit only, you know, it's like, I'm kind of like come from this doctor background. I only want to deal with people who are really sick. So if it cures cancer or rheumatoid arthritis or heart disease, then I want to know about it. But if it makes you, you know, feel better or get more energy or something like that, I'm much less interested. (sighs) Well, Doc, I mean, we, I could talk to you forever about this. I mean, uh, no, I wonder if you, do you get sick of just being uh, pelted with with questions like queries because it's never it's never easy, right? To just be kind of uh, to face skeptics all the time. Is that is that exhausting? Well, you know, listen, I I got through medical school and all the hazing, so this is uh, you know really a piece of cake. And uh, all jokes aside, though, I just you know I'm kind of a natural pedagogue. I I enjoy teaching, and you guys clearly are thirsty for learning and so i know you know this information is not wasted it's for uh you know learning purposes expanding our knowledge being able to make better decisions in the world so this is you know it's kind of a treat and i don't i don't feel fatigued i feel energized awesome sam is thirsty all right i'm always thirsty (laughs) well you gotta always have a glass of water i always do um so the movie is the train train the film and you have a seminar that's going to be this weekend, this Saturday. We're glad we can get this out so people can uh, check it out. Uh, it is called, what is it called? The Water? Yeah. The Way yeah, of the Water. The, the Way of the Water. water. It's My a, computer. A terrain workshop. So I'm trying to teach, you know, the basics of terrain medicine. So you watch the film to get introduced to it, and then you attend my workshop to learn how you can integrate it into your actual life. All right. Well, Doc, you came, you saw, you dropped the hammer of the gods. You know, for a dangerous man, you're very cool uh, and fun to talk to. And I think that everyone should have you on the show. So uh, if, if there's any 
any any time, any way I could help you, I'll always do it. We'd love you on the show, and you're always welcome back. When you got any new projects coming, again, it's Terrain the Film. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really did it. I mean, I loved it. And uh, I mean, like, I'm I'm a total terrain theorist. And, I, you know, I think that there's, like, things like chemtrails and stuff like that. And they're spraying us with chemicals and all that stuff that is uh, also affecting us, causing things that happen to us that they want to attribute to a virus. Uh, that's just me. It's a multi-layer psyop, uh, everything. I mean... You take a look at it. I know we're letting you go, but we take a look at this whole, um, you know, the with the Chinese films of people falling backwards, and everyone's it's a it's the virus. I'm like, well, it looks a lot now today. I go, it looks a lot like what we see with people who took the vaccine and the and the effects it's having on them. I mean, a comedian Heather McDonald. Oh God, that back, video. Yeah, yeah. backwards. Like that. she could, like you could be like, oh, it's fake. Like you can't no. not. No. Fake, yeah. Putting your hands out to catch you. Yeah. It's just impossible. It's one of those reflex things that you can't it's do. It's exactly like the Chinese films that they were. They scared us. I don't us trust with. that damn thing coming out of China. That's I, really I don't trust. Thing. No. I don't even trust. Any it's not government. That the any government. Yeah. It's really. I it's mean, the, it, the United States as much as the Chinese trying to cause psychological sure. operations on us. What's your thoughts on that? Final question, Doc. Yeah, well, you know, I agree. We have to rely on independent, unbiased journalists. You know, anyone that's getting their news feed from AP and Reuters, uh, you, you really is not worth uh, listening to. So, so it's really key. And you know, you, you're just hitting on great points that uh, you know you got to pay attention to what's really going on out there because it's not what you're being told. Uh, th this is the final, final question. Do you think we are winning or lo losing? <laughs> well, you know, as humanity overall or as, as individual men and women, because I think it's important to look at it from your own point of view. You know, the, because when you look at it and you make the right decision and you learn, then you set an example for others. And the more and more people do that, it turns the tide for many people who are kind of lost and misguided or unwilling to look at the truth or still want to trust the government and, you know, the mainstream news media. So, you know, we can't say that, you know, 50% of people or even 40% or even 30% or even 25% of people know, you know, that what's going on is not what it seems at all. But there is a strong, you know, vocal minority of people who not just see what's going on, but are actively, you know, speaking out about it, spreading the message around. And, you know, I can see those, all those people that have gone along and don't question everything, you know, at some point they got fatigue. And like, that's when you see all those videos when they finally lifted the airline mask, you know, BS, right? You saw all these people that, that you thought of that they just like love to wear their masks and are scared all the time, right? They were so happy and relieved because they're just like, God, I'm so tired of this stuff. It can't be that dangerous, you know, at some point. And so it, that fatigue may be the closest we can come for a lot of people to looking at the truth. But it's going to be really hard to manipulate people again so soon, you know. And I think that is extremely, um, you know, hope enticing for me. 
and I see all the possibilities. I see people starting to shift how they do things. A lot of people are leaving the mainstream health system, and it's really growing, you know, that people want actually access to real answers and how do they really improve their health. So, you know, I'm very optimistic that, that things are going the right direction, that the battle is not, or the war is not nearly over, but that, you know, in the end for for many of us, I think victory in a way that, you know, we can define living in peace and in cooperation with our uh, fellow brothers and sisters uh, in an abundant natural world. Um, I think that's very uh, likely in the future. Well, I agree. I think, I think they just keep using the same game plans over and over and I think they're losing. I think we're waking up to it. We're never going to save everybody, but we're going to save those who uh, want to be saved and want to save themselves. So, doctor, thank you again. Dr. Andy Kaufman, thank you so much for coming on. Is what, what, is Andy Kaufman, was that a lot of pressure to be funny all the time? <laughs> well, feel- nobody can make a good joke about it, so, you know, it's pretty easy. <laughs> I, okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on, brother, and uh, we look forward to our next conversation. Uh, I would, I'm going to check out the movie. I love the movie. I love everything you're doing, so thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Great to be here. All right, guys. Look forward to coming back. Thank you so much, bro. All right, guys. Sorry to cut you off, Doc. Love you guys. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode, and I hope you guys have a great weekend. We go deep, homeboy. Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hacking, foil hacking.